This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hi, I'm Ken Steisler. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. And you're listening to Play That Rock and Roll. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. Too much is never enough. Hey, working. This is not a test, this is Play That Rock and Roll. I'm your host, Joseph K, and like the song at the start says, just call me Joe. Today, our guest is Ken Seisler. Ken Seisler is a former director and VP of production for MTV. And when I say MTV, I mean music television. That's right, 80s MTV, real MTV. Ken was with MTV from the start. He was hired before they went on the air, and he was actually the guy who directed the first five hours of MTV's debut broadcast. And during his time there, he directed all kinds of programming, including MTV documentaries about artists like Asia, Hall and & Oates, and even Bruce Springsteen. Ken left MTV in the late 80s and went on to have a very successful career in show business. Currently, he is the co-host of The Gary and Kenny Show, which is a podcast he hosts alongside former Saturday Night Live cast member Gary Kroger. MTV's impact on classic rock cannot be overstated, so I jumped at the chance to have Ken on the show to share some of his memories of MTV's golden era. In this interview, we talk about how he got the job at MTV, what he did during his time there, what that first day of broadcast was like, his experiences directing artist documentaries, his memories of MTV awards shows and Christmas parties, why he eventually left MTV, and what he does now on his podcast, 
The Gary and Kenny Show. If you want to learn more about Ken, be sure to check out The Gary and Kenny Show. All the episodes are in video on YouTube, and you can get the podcast versions wherever podcasts are hosted. And of course, The Gary and Kenny Show is on Facebook and Twitter as well. So without further ado, here's my conversation with former director and VP of production at MTV during its golden era, and also current host of The Gary and Kenny Show, Ken Seisler. Welcome to the show. Uh, you are currently the co-host of the Gary and Kenny podcast, which is also a YouTube series. Uh, but for the purposes of today, um, I brought you on the show so we could talk about some of your experiences working at MTV during MTV's heyday, back when it was actually music television. So for those who don't know, can you tell us what you did at MTV uh, back in the 80s? Well, just before I do, and I know for the people with the podcast, they won't see it, but the you know, YouTube, you, you have the I want my MTV thing in the background. You have that all the time. You just did this special for this one. Just for you, Ken. Oh, wow. Okay, a little <laughs> set decoration. Very nice. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. I will tell my story of MTV. I was uh, actually, I'm from New York. I went to NYU Film School. I moved out to Los Angeles to pursue uh, television. And uh, while I was out here looking for jobs, a friend of mine uh, called me up and said, um, they're looking for directors for this new channel that's kind of like radio on TV. And so I wanted to be a director. At the time, I think I was a production assistant on a game show. And because I was coming back to New York anyhow, uh, I flew back and uh, I got set up to meet with a guy, Robert Morton, uh, who was the creative mm -hmm. director at the time. Robert Morton then went on to become the executive producer of Letterman. Uh, I walked in and... Uh, <laughs> I expected him to ask me about all my credentials as far as television was concerned, but he did the most inappropriate thing that you could do now. But 30 years ago, it was kind of funny. He said, hey, are you Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, this is your hire. Come on down, I want you to meet somebody. I mean, I think he got, we got along pretty well. It wasn't that, that stuff, but I did have, you know, some credits as far as a director were concerned that mostly I got one as an NYU film school, which was fantastic for me. What they were looking for were control room directors who would direct the VJ segments. Okay. okay. So I was there, I got hired in June of 81. So I was wow. there a few months before we launched. So I, when I was there, we were literally just, putting the pieces to the puzzle together and trying to figure out how we integrate the VJ segments with the music videos. So that's kind of what happened. I got selected out of the three other directors. I've always mentioned that this to see if someday it'll be the answer to a trivia question, but I was the first person to direct the first five hours of the channel. Yeah. Yeah. You so, know, it's, uh... so if that ever comes up in conversation, Joe, Oh, that's going you know to be coming up. <laughs> that's going to be coming up pretty quick. We're going to dive into that. So, okay, you got started in June '81. Uh, how did it pay? 
Well, you know, that's a very good question. I don't think, <laughs> listen, the truth of the matter was that the great thing about MTV was it gave people who really didn't have the credentials to be directors or producers or yeah. executive producers. Uh, but the, the thing was, we're going to give you that title and we're going to give you the opportunity. Uh, I don't really remember, but I'm going to guess it was probably about $500 a week. You know, was that, this was was that New York. pretty good for New York? Yeah, it was a page. Well, you know, at that time you could, I, I mean, I guess so. I made a living. I, you know, yeah. actually in the beginning, I stayed in my sister's apartment, which helped. Okay. Uh, but no, I, I quickly moved up and then, you know, I was making a nice living uh, there. I loved it there. It was phenomenal. It was a great job. It was so much fun. We were all young. Um, the, the way it really was, was set up was uh, there were people just hired from the world of radio and music. And then, they, and because the people in the radio and the music department didn't know how to do TV production, they went out and they hired a bunch of people from TV production, which I was one of those people, and uh, put us together. And we didn't know anything about music, anything about TV, um, but we it, it was, but it was great. It was I look back on it and go, my goodness, how lucky was I? Yeah. So you. Got the job in '81. How long were you at MTV total? When did you about leave? eight years? Oh wow. Okay, so like the, almost the whole decade. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you say that you you moved up and you were you were a VP of programming? Oh no, not programming. Uh, no. Oh okay. Uh, the, I mean, the, my initial thing was I had been directing the VJ segments in the studio. An opportunity came up for me to go into management. I took that. I uh, became creative director, whatever that meant. I, I guess it meant I helped, you know, pick out the colors and things. <laughs> um, then I became executive producer of the studio. And okay. then I became vice president of the studio. Oh, wow. So that okay. Was, yeah. so, so it was, a it was mostly just around uh, the uh, all the productions that was taking place at the MTV studios. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, Let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about the the couple of months right before launch, like when your your first couple of uh, weeks there. Like, uh, can you can you sort of describe like what the vibe was? You know, what what did were people thinking that this was going to be a big hit? Did people think this was going to be a kind of a a one and done and and you know flash in the pan? Like, you know, what was what was the feelings? Um, of anticipation before the actual launch? I think for most of us, it was, we weren't really sure once we put all the elements together, what it really was going to look like. We kind of saw oh, them okay. individually. We would see the promos. We said, hey, the promos look cool. And yep. we'd see the VJ segments. Well, that looks cool. And then we see, you know, the, the music videos and go, well, that looks cool. But you didn't really know what the cake was going to look like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and nobody really heard of it. And in the very beginning, what was interesting is like, you know, uh, we were as David, David Letterman, I remember, referred to us uh, as cable weasels. Nobody outside <laughs> of New York knew about MTV. Uh, and nobody in New York knew about it because we weren't on Manhattan Cable. The first place that we actually launched was in New Jersey. Right. And we had to take a bus out to see it. Um, but in the, in the months going up there, we were, it, it really was because we didn't know what it was going to look like and how much work we had to do and how to design it. It was really, I remember we worked a lot. It was like 
12, 15 hour days of people just scrambling to put stuff together. Um, and I, you know, and we worked and we worked and worked and the graphic artists were working. I mean, everybody was like really um, very busy uh, and excited. Okay. It was wonderful because we were all about the same age, which was, you know, we just, I was like 25. I think I was 24, 25. Um, and everybody was about that young. So, I mean, uh, imagine all of these people. And by the way, Bob Pittman, who was our uh, leader at the time, I think he was 27. Oh, that. man. <laughs> when when we launched it so you know i guess it's it, it must have uh, been very similar to what you see with the dot-com you know thing where people who are 25 26 years old are becoming billion, we didn't billionaires but are launching you know new companies with young people i was gonna say when i was uh 23 and 27 i was working at a pizza place so that's a much cooler way to spend your 20s <laughs> yeah, no, exactly the mtv gave people the opportunity i mean i wasn't qualified to move into a control room i wanted to and i knew i was i would be able to but they gave me the chance and i be, went into the control room as a director and from then on i was able to call myself a director and that was really the springboard for me to for the rest of my career do you know how they they or why they picked you to to direct that first shift to find out. I hours? was Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I don't funny. know. I think it could have been anybody. It, might, it could have been either one. The other directors was Jeff Bolt and the other guy, Steve Lawrence. And we all got along. We all liked each other very well. So it wasn't competitive. Yeah. Um, I, well, maybe, just, maybe it was like a bravery thing. I mean, you must have been pretty. No, I mean, no, was there a level of terror, terror that was going on? No, I think she just had to pick somebody. <laughs> and it was the first time. Okay you know, that I ever won anything. But anyhow, so Sue Steinberg was our boss. And, uh, and she somehow, for whatever reason, just picked me out of the three. But it was, there was nothing to suggest that I was better than I, any of the, those two guys who were phenomenal, you know, in themselves. And we're all, of course, of course. love those guys. So it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. 
I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business. And I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Absolutely. Okay. Well, shoot. Like, uh, tell us about that day. So you're, you know, it, it launches in, uh, was it August 1st, 1981? Well, we record, it launched on August 1st, but we weren't live live. The VJ segments were pre-recorded. Oh. Yeah. The way it worked was there was what they call NOC, Network Operations Center, at the end of Long Island. Uh, I'm trying to remember, it was like Smithtown, Long Island or something like that. And uh, that's where all the music videos were actually. Right. And what we did was we recorded, we, we would have a playlist to see where the VJ segments would, would come, whatever. And we record a VJ segment, uh, and we, you know, the back announce, we'd look at the playlist and go, okay, well, this song just played, and now we're going to this song, and we, we, we'd promo this. So we put all the information in because we knew on paper what they were going to be playing. And we would take all those tapes that were recorded. I'm not, I can't remember how far in advance they were recorded, whether it was a day or two or a week. I, I don't think it was a week, but probably a couple of days. And all of that, those recordings were physically, I, maybe they were satellite. I don't know this part. Mm. Uh, you'd have to bring on somebody uh, like an Andy Setos who knew how to do it. Um, they might have satellited it out to Smithtown and then they integrated uh, all the materials together or we physically uh, had it shipped out. I'm not really sure which, which one happened. Oh, wow. I, I did not realize that. Cause it's certainly, I went back and on YouTube, you can find the first two hours pretty much as broadcast, you know, a couple of things cut out cause of copyright or whatever, but it certainly has the live feel in particular with uh, the, the VJ segments. I remember there was at least one point where uh Mark introduced the wrong video. So I always had this idea that it was like red hot live, 
And uh, no, that was probably that was just like an our mistake or somebody's mistake <laughs> in the paperwork. You know, I mean, it was like, yeah, if the, if on the paperwork it said this clip was supposed to run, and, and uh-huh. I mean, that's kind of like I don't know if that was our fault, NOC's fault, or the guy who created the you know the playlist. Sure, sure. yeah. But I, uh, you know, uh, at the time. <laughs> At the time, I know people like, you know, uh, will we excited? I don't know if we were excited or nervous or whatever. I, I guess we were. Yeah, it was finally happening. Um, and the story that we tell all the time is that because nobody in Manhattan had ever heard of MTV. Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't on Manhattan cable. Um, and it, on August 1st, in order for us to see it launch, uh, they got a bus and we all hopped on the bus and drove out to, and I should remember, but I can't remember the town in New Jersey, but I should. Anyhow, and we went to this club and we looked up and, you know, we saw John Lack is the voice that goes, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. John Lack yep. is the real original founder of it. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. And uh, that took off and... Uh, the buggles came on and, you know, and we were off and running. Uh, but it again, off and running for the first year, we were still not in Manhattan. So nobody really knew who we were. We would stand out. Even I was a TV director, big shot, whatever. John <laughs> Sykes, who was kind of our head and Fred Seibert, who was uh, also uh, in charge of like, you know, making the MTV and, you know, John Sykes would get, would run around and say, here's t-shirts, here's t-shirts, go out on the street and give them out. And we would go on the street and give out, MTV t-shirts to people. Oh, okay. To get them interested, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw, there was a a documentary called I Want My MTV that was uh, made in 2019. I saw it here in Milwaukee as part of the Milwaukee Film Festival. And I recall uh, them talking about that story you just mentioned of going off on the bus to this, like, bar that, you know, nobody knew what was going on, but you guys are all there watching it on a, on a, on a TV there. Can you, what, what are your memories of like that, that day being in that bar? I mean, was, was it elation? Were you guys getting drunk? You know, were, were the other patrons like confused about why you were there? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, no, you know, listen, it's a bar. So people are generally just interested in getting a drink and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. getting a buzz. So I don't think anybody paid attention to, you know, what was happening. Um, but, you know, I don't think I, you know, more than anything that, you know, you just, you know, yes, it was fun. And I think we're all excited. And then it was like, you know, let's get, let's have a party. MTV did, was a lot of partying. We did do a lot of partying. There was a lot to celebrate. We celebrated it. Um, (laughs) so, you know, that was like the, the start of our celebration. And then we just went in, then each department just went off doing its own thing. And, uh, we can't, you know, and it, it was great there for, you know, where your eyes think what's happened now. Oh, sure. Yeah. Were that night were your eyes glued to the TV because that was your direction or did you feel totally comfortable because you had already done it? You know? Oh, no, I, I wasn't going to watch it. I mean, I think I, I really don't have much of a memory after that because I do yeah. like my, co- I do like my cocktails. So yeah, I right. don't really know. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it just turned into, you know, just having a good time. Yeah, that's cool. basically all I remember from that evening. Oh, for sure. So then if you, if you were directing those first five hours, did you have a say in like what videos got picked or what order oh, they went in or anything like that? 
I had no, those were all oh, decided okay. elsewhere. I'm, I mean, my responsibility was the VJs were on the set oh, okay. and what camera they would be looking at, basically that, what camera they'd be looking at. And that, that, that was it, you know. How did you like working with the VJs? Well, you know, we all still, you know, it's very, we're all very close. And oh, really? So, That's awesome. Yes. And they're all close. And we lost one of the best, which was JJ, yep. who was a pleasure. But yeah. every single one of them, we stay in touch on Facebook. And, you know, I went back for the last, we got a 40th anniversary just recently. And to see Alan and Mark and who, again, we stay in touch with. So now the, the VJs were a remarkable chemistry of people that came together everybody liked each other it was no there was no drama there was no none of that i think they were all you know out they were rooting for each other well okay so no no like competitive vibes or anything like that i don't think so they i think in a way they all had their own they brought a different quality to um uh with them you know uh so it wasn't like competitive in that way they you know mark's credibility from radio jj's credibility from radio which but he's a little bit more old school you know nina was you know personality is attractive but you know and then martha was you know this young person and alan had you know he was fun you know mm -hmm. fun, just a fun personality so i think that there was it wasn't competitive like that it wasn't like you had two funny guys vying to be too funny you know who's the funniest person in the room Sure. No, sure. So, no, they, they've all been strong supporters of one another. And oh, very cool. I'm, I'm glad to say that uh, uh, we're all very good friends. During your time working with them, were you ever tempted to find a way to get yourself on camera or were you strictly a behind the camera guy? Oh, no, strictly. You know, the thing is, uh, and I appreciate the fact that, you know, you're, it's a, this is a rock and roll music show, but Absolutely. as much as I love music and I listen to music all the time and I'm a real big fan, I can't, uh, you know, work or live or do anything without music, but I didn't, I, I was not like a music, like got really, I didn't know music. I didn't know the third cut of the fourth album of the so-and-so artist and where that came from. I didn't have that kind of background. The, 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 the people from the music industry knew that kind of stuff. I had yep. no credibility to, go out and, and do that you know which is kind of an interesting story that you know i kind of feel uh <laughs> i have to tell now and I'll, I'll mention this to mark goodman which i think i told him uh i would at one point we were doing a documentary we get down we, we did a hole and oats documentary and i i was the producer director and i uh we went down to where they were recording i'm mark goodman MTV visited with Daryl Hall and John Oates in the studio as they recorded their new album called H2O. Mark was supposed to do the interview. Okay. And uh, he got sick and he couldn't do it. So I did the interview, but not on camera, just asking the questions. And I thought I was fine, but I didn't know any really good, credible music questions. I mean, I'd ask questions like, what was it like when you heard your song on the radio? You know, and they were kind of rolling their eyes at these very, they were very pedestrian questions I was asking. Sure. Um, you know, but I, I, I went through it and that was when I really kind of realized, you know, when you talk to these artists, they really want you to know their music and what's, 
and the history behind it and what that song and what was the third cut on the fourth album that got this and you know whatever and you had and what producer did you use and what thing and why did you make the selection and all they like to talk about that stuff in, in depth i didn't have that I, I i absolutely didn't have that so okay well <laughs> besides that interaction how did you uh, get along with uh john and daryl oh fine i mean it wasn't like we became friends i mean they were pretty much yeah. they were they would do their album and it was just me and a camera guy and an audio guy just kind of flies on the wall bothering them and uh it was just, i mean i look back and it was really interesting it was great fun it was at electric lady studios in greenwich village which is a very famous place um and me and my camera crew spent you know about a week in there while they were recording the album and it was you know, just really fun to be there. I mean, there's some interesting stuff. Tommy Mottola, who was in the room all the time we were there, because people didn't really know MTV, what it was going to be and how we were going to handle mm-hmm. um, the artists. And part of this also is the biggest thing in for MTV success was our content we were getting for free, the music videos. We were asking the music companies to give us the content for free. Yep. They questioned whether or not that was a good move. Why should we be giving (laughs) it to them for free? So we had to prove that if you gave it to us for free, we would increase your record sales. And that was the big thing that we really were trying to work on is how do we increase a record sale? So me going down and doing a quote unquote documentary on Hall & Oates yeah. was really about me creating an infomercial for the record <laughs> that was going to come out, you know? So yeah. they were, so Tommy Batola was, there was very much in control of, you know, everything that we did and stuff like that. So, and, and the boys didn't, like I say, at this time, people had, didn't really understand what it was and why are we giving all of our music to these people? What's, you know, what's in it for us? Yeah. So it was a big, big thing it wasn't until mtv was given the credit and i'll tell you how that happened for selling records that oh go ahead credibility yeah let's hear it how, how what what's well, that? bob Pittman. bob Pittman knew that the way in order for us to get over this you know uh pessimism on the part of the music industry was to prove that we could make the money yeah and there was i always remember there was a door that nobody knew what on the other side of the door was, but I think it was revealed on the other side of that door, there were like dozens and dozens and dozens of people uh, with on phone banks. Oh. And what they were doing is they were calling record stores around the country. Hundred, all day long, they would call record stores. And, we, and what they do is they compare our playlist to record sales. Oh, wow. So they would look at our playlist and go, oh, and we would experiment. We say, let's put this guy into rotation. Yeah. And they put him in rotation. And then we call up all the record uh, stores, not me, but this is what they were doing, and yeah. say, okay, how is, and let's say, you know, the Hall and Oates album doing? And they go, wow, it got a real bump in the last couple of days. And we go, well, you know what? We play Hall and Oates in the past. And when we started to show those numbers to the record companies, they saw the value. And that's oh, when okay. things really started to shift. Then they started to send their artists down for interviews. Then they were, they saw, okay, this is making us money. Yep. Interesting. Do you have uh, any old tapes of that documentary or has that been lost to time? No, as a matter of fact, I, 
I do have it, but I think it's on three quarter inch tape. <laughs> and I'm one of those people that threw out my three quarter inch machine like years ago, but I do <laughs> yeah. have it. But I understand it is on YouTube. Somebody said oh, it's on YouTube. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can check it out. As a matter of fact, I got a call from a student at um, a, co- a college here. Yeah. And she is a Hall & Oates buff. Okay. And she tracked me down because she had seen that uh, that show. So she must have oh, seen it okay. on YouTube. She tracked me down because she wanted to ask, you know, what were they like and all that stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how cool. Okay. Oh, so you did, did, did you just do that one documentary for Hall & Oates or did you do other documentaries for other artists um, oh, as I well? Did. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't remember the second one, but I did Bruce Springsteen. Whoa. Okay. I know, bro. And you think I'd have a picture <laughs> of me and Bruce, right? No, no, no. So anyhow, again, it was one of those things where we're going to do a documentary, which is really a promo. Bruce was touring. So I was born tour. in the USA for born in the USA. Yeah, it must have been. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was he was in uh, touring. He was in New Jersey. We went with him from New Jersey. We went to some other places. Me and Joe Devola. Uh, and we went. And before we went, John Landau was Bruce Springsteen's manager. Yep. He's still, I don't know. But John was so sensitive about Bruce. Don't bother Bruce. Don't go near Bruce. I don't want to bother him. And I think he was, he was, it was overly so because when Bruce was actually incredibly nice, but John had built it up like, don't bother you. And then my boss, uh, my boss was over the top nervous that we were going to do something that was going to offend them and that they would pull the plug on the project. Mm. Oh, so wow. there was, cause at one time I had said to my boss for B roll, which is just footage you play while you're, you know, the artist is doing stuff. I want yeah. to go out to Asbury park and do just film around his neighborhood, you know, and go take shots of where he played and, you know, all those famous iconic places. And my boss I get. He said, John, John Lando said, no, 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 you can't go. They, they don't want you to go. And I'm like, why can't I go to his hometown? What is, what is that? So that's how nervous they were. Oh, OK. Yeah, just overly cautious. But my point, my point being. I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> and I wanted to get a, And I, you know, you're very sensitive. I never got a photo with him. Oh, I never got. I know. But. You know, I can say backstage and with Bruce because I and I, and I never chatted with him because, again, mm-hmm. I was told, you know, stand back. Mm-hmm. Um, but from afar and in his conversations and his demeanor, I, I, he couldn't have been a sweeter, nicer person. And I always remember his family was there and his family oh. was the quintessential, wonderful, warm people. I think his father was the truck driver, his sister, his mother. They were classic, like, New Jersey people, but very down-to-earth, wonderful Yeah. People. So that was nice to see. So that was my... And again, going to see... I, I mean, I, was get, I got to see Bruce play, and, you know, nobody rocked harder than Bruce Springsteen. It was just hours and hours and hours. So that was that one doc. That was a documentary to Bruce. And that I have wow. not seen... That I have not seen on YouTube. I have to imagine that that is probably down because of just YouTube's copyright system, but I I would almost guarantee it's out there somewhere because Bruce bootleggers, you know, tape traders, they they are exhaustive with Bruce Springsteen material. I mean, like, 
you know, he's got a dedicated uh, <laughs> bootleg uh, community. Well, anyhow, so that was Bruce. And then the other thing that I did, which was the uh, Asia and Asia, we were doing a, uh, Asia was going through, I think, personnel change or whatever. And then somebody came up with the great idea. Let's do Asia and Asia. Ancient MOTV saying, even a journey of 10,000 miles must begin with a single postcard. Enter and win, and you'll fly to Tokyo to be a part of a worldwide event. Asia in Asia. And so then my job was in promoting the live concert was to go and travel to each one of the uh, guys' homes and oh. do a profile on them, which was supposed to be, which would play, which was to play uh, uh, right before the live concert. So that was oh. interesting. That was good. That was, that was very, uh, and, and, and I'm, I think I'm going to get this, but when we were doing it, and I apologize, you really should know this. One of them was fired. Yes, yes. I actually, I think I know some of this here because I, I did a little yeah. digging. So what's what's interesting about the timing here is that I don't know if you're aware of this, but Asia is it's available for pre-order. They're doing a huge deluxe box set of their concert special, Asia in Asia. finally going to be out on on blu-ray there's a you know it's all remastered and everything the yeah the one at budokan and that's coming out uh next month in june so you know hey there's some uh good timing going on here yeah jeff downs i think it might have been i'm not sure if yeah got so get... he was out and or no 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 he was in john wetton was out john wetton was out right 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 so Carl Palmer, the drummer, got his old bandmate from Emerson Lake and Palmer, uh, Greg Lake, to step in and sing. One member of the band has been rehearsing especially hard. Greg Lake had just six weeks to learn all the songs you're going to see Asia perform tonight. One just has to play the music, and it's totally absorbing. Especially for me, because I've, I've only been really involved with Asia's music for about six weeks. So it's quite, it's quite an undertaking to uh, remember everything in detail. So that's actually a very, and, and Greg Lake didn't even want to do it at first. He, he didn't want did to it. do it. And that's the thing, that's, that's a documentary I'd like to see again. That's so funny that I, I don't even, I haven't thought about that, but that would be an interesting documentary to see because it was very really, Greg Lake was very reluctant. Uh, yeah. Greg Wetton was the sweetest, he was getting let go and he was the sweetest yeah. guy about it. And they were all great. They were also, and what's his name? Uh, Palmer, he lived in Tenerife, which is like this volcano rock island right off of Spain. Uh, oh, Jeff okay. Palmer. And uh, that was a fascinating place to go. And, you know, he was remarkable. He's energetic. I mean, he did everything for us. And so, they, yeah, that, that was a great, that, that, that was a uh, phenomenal, phenomenal trip. Yeah. How cool. I mean, that struck me as really interesting because that's such a very interesting part of their timeline, you know, where that, that could have gone really bad with, you know, the singer leaving and, and a, a new one coming in who has no intention of staying very long. But I watched some video from that concert. and looks like they put on a hell of a great show. I imagine you must have had a great time at that, at that concert. You know what happened? Well, of course you don't know what happened. If you knew what happened, you wouldn't answer the question. Oh, no. Were you not there? <laughs> no, I was there. Oh, okay. But it was there that I started not to feel particularly well. 
Oh, no. I caught a terrible Asian flu. Oh. And when everybody flew back, I couldn't fly back. I was in the, was I was in the hotel. <laughs> no, not. I think in those days they did call it the Asian flu. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, I was in, I, I couldn't get out. Of, and then after the concert and everybody went out and partied and I partied. But I didn't feel good. And then the next morning I woke up with 104 fever. Oh. I could not move. I was in the bed. And when I couldn't check out, I was in there. I was basically quarantined for like 10 days until my feet, I was like at a fever for like that amount of time. And it finally broke. And uh, I got on a plane to go back home. And then, of course, when I got back into the United States after a 16 hour flight, the customs people go, do you want drugs? And I'm like, no, I just don't feel good. <laughs> Come with me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just dying. I just want to go home. And I had to sit there and get integrated by the by the customs people. You don't look oh, good. Uh, so oh, anyhow, that's, that's, that's hilarious. So let me just go uh, run through some some big moments in MTV's early history, and I wonder if you have any memories from those. The first one that pops in my head is uh, I don't remember the year, but it would have been early '80s, a Christmas special when Billy Squire came to the MTV yeah, yeah. studios. I'm Billy Squire. On behalf of myself and everyone here at MTV, I'd like to wish you all a happy holiday season and a terrific new year. Christmas is a time to I don't think I directed that. I think oh, okay. one of my other directors did. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't remember if it was Jeff or Steve, but I didn't direct that. But I was oh, there okay. at the stage. I was there at the stage when we did it. Yeah, I was going to say you were there though. What, what do you remember about that day? Oh, nothing. You know, it's, we had a blast. It really is kind of like thing. We had some personalities there, Gail Sparrow and some other names that don't mean anything to any of your viewers or whatever. But um, they were uh, very, very. You know, was, listen, they were they were out of the music industry and they they liked to party and have fun and they knew the artists and the artists got a great kick out of doing it you know some artists did you know the thing that i would always say about always say but generally the older artists were the nicest it was and oh, at that time yeah the, it was at that time where some of these the young people would come in and they yeah. i don't know whether or not they didn't know who we were or didn't care who we were but yeah. they weren't the nicest but like a guy like billy squire he wasn't like yeah. a new guy but he was such a nice guy and so full of fun there were a lot of guys like that a lot of people like that i'll tell you who was one, one of my favorites uh artists uh that couldn't have been sweet it was joe cocker oh okay real cool i saw him in concert once yeah what a nice man just yeah. delightful yeah we had a, a lot of people went through that thing you know the the the, the thing is and i'll i'll say it because it's probably been out there and spoken the 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 t person we had the most we disliked person was john uh Mellencamp. i want my mpv you want your mpv really now that's interesting i i can sort of see that because i i've heard some things about him he, he didn't he didn't really get yeah, man, what you guys were doing, right? I think he had a chip on his shoulder. Not about that, but about a lot of things. I think he had yeah. a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, he's a weird guy. Did you hear that story about how his son, like, beat the daylights out of him? No. Yeah, like a couple of years ago, he got in a fight. His son is like 6'5 or something. Yeah. They got in some sort of fight, and there, it was all over the, you know, the tabloids or whatever. But he had a black eye, and it was just like... I think he was on Letterman, and he was just like, yeah, I got in a fight with my son, and he won. <laughs> That's a legitimate black eye. Yeah, it is. 
It is. How, how did that happen? Uh, well, uh, my son and I had words. <laughs> and uh, he got a punch in and I didn't. How old is your son? 18. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, my and, God. And Dave. <laughs> He's 6'2 and weighs almost 200 pounds. Well, what is the matter with you? Why, why are you picking a fight with the kid? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, so, um, you know, uh, I don't, they, I don't, I'm trying to remember if there were any, like, people that, you know, really had, like, a dramatic incident and... I don't really remember. I mean, some people were just more into it than others and would want to hang out at the stage. I tell this story, <laughs> which was fun. There's, there was this girl who was brought in by her manager, who I can't remember his name, but he was also her boyfriend. Oh, okay. <laughs> and at, at the stage at the time, there was a place that was set up with like a little, it looked like a little booth at a coffee shop, which was part of the set, but it was a booth okay. at a coffee shop. And the manager said, or somebody from the artist relations said, can we get this girl in? And I'm like, well, we have this thing in schedule and we can't, I don't know if we can get her into interview or whatever. Uh, and the girl was standing right there. And I was going, you know, we'll try, you know, maybe if you sit and we'll wait and whatever. And so she sat and she was wonderful and she was sweet and whatever. And she waited until we had an opening that we could get her into an interview. And that girl's name was Madonna. I want my MTV. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, hey. Right here. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And Madonna called me on the phone. Oh, okay. She had a brother. I think it was Mike Ciccone or something. And she wanted me to interview her brother for a VJ spot. Oh, okay. Okay. Did you? Yeah. Oh, write. okay. Was he any good? But we did. No. <laughs> no. Uh, consider me not surprised. Call, at least now I can say I got a call from Madonna. Hey, yeah. That's kind of Well, cool. you know, I don't, I, I think there's probably a lot of men who can say that, but maybe more <laughs> famous. <laughs> okay. I got it. Uh, who else? Um, uh, uh, Grace Slick called me. Whoa, 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 yeah, hold on. Yeah, I, okay. We love Grace Slick in this okay. house. What can you tell me about Grace? She had a daughter. China, yes. China. And she was worried about China. And she okay. thought maybe if China came to New York and was a VJ and I could oh. watch over her, she would appreciate it. Wow, okay. But China came to New York and we did kind of like for like, I forget how, and she was a beautiful, sweet girl. I mean, it yeah. was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, so so Grace Slick called and she and she would call and she'd say, how's China doing? How's China doing? And I'd say, oh, yeah, she's doing good. She's doing good. And I forget what happened, but yeah, she was good. She was, we liked her. She was fun. Very cool. Now, uh, your daughter, is she on this MTV all the time? Well, that's up for grabs. She does it during the summer, mm -hmm. and then uh, she did it last summer, and then went to school. Her name is China, and, and she is now a VJ on MTV. Yeah, yeah. And so she may uh, or may not be full uh, on VJ. That's up to MTV. Uh -huh. Are yeah. you, do you still keep in touch with China? No, they have no, no, no. clue. Who I no, am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she she was like she was the youngest VJ ever, right? Wasn't she Probably, still in yeah. high school? Yes, yeah. she was in my book. Yeah. 
And she's just a kid, 17, right? She's 16. Yeah. 16? Yeah. I wonder how she felt introducing some of her mom's Starship videos, like we built this city. And... <laughs> I don't think she cared. <laughs> she didn't care. And then oh, the that's... other people that I became friendly with uh, was the Zappa kids. Moon oh, wow. Okay. The, yeah, Moon and uh, what's his name? Uh, Dweezil. Yeah, yeah. Dweezil. Uh, I became friendly with them. Uh, they they were VJs for a while, and I Moon is one of my favorite people in the world. She's just uh, and uh, who else? Yeah, so I can't think. Okay, okay. Well, let let me uh, ask you this. Uh, you know, something that became an MTV staple for many years was the MTV Awards. Uh, it's my understanding, were you at were you at all of those? Were you at the first one? Yeah, yeah, but we didn't have anything to do with the production. Because they didn't trust oh, okay. us for something, sure. being something that being that big, so we just got to be part of the audience. They um, and smartly so because it was a you know big production, probably way overhead. Uh, they gave it to Don Olmeyer, I think his name was Olmeyer. Oh, that sounds he, familiar. He used to do sports for NBC, and yeah. they gave it to him. Yeah, so he did that. No, at all the uh, those things, we were just. I was fun. I, you know, I got to you know, just hang out and party. So that was good. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Any, any specific memories from some of those award shows, you know, any, do you have any favorite moments of even just being in the audience? Well, of course, everybody was a little bit like when Madonna was rolling on the floor yeah. <laughs> in her wedding dress. And then, you know, yeah. a big thing for me was I got to go backstage on one of those because that's, you know, you get to do that and you go okay. back into the inner, inner sanctum. You know, beyond yeah. the sanctum, there's always an inner sanctum. Uh, <laughs> and there, I, you know, I got to hang with the Rolling Stones, and that was, like, pretty Whoa. cool. I mean, I didn't talk to the Rolling Stones or anything, hey, but it was in the same still. room as them. You know? Being in a room with that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 So. And they sort of had a weird relationship with MTV, too, because I know they were, like, big stars. But, you know, besides, you know, that Start Me Up music video... The, the, the 80s was the tough decade for the Stones. Like, they only put out an album or two and, you know, no real iconic music videos from that run. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I so, mean, I think the most significant moment for the channel, uh, just historically, was Michael Jackson's got a music video. Of course. And they I remember yeah, watching absolutely. it. They sent it down to the stage for us to watch it. And I think we all knew it was a game changer. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I had a coworker who was, you know, obviously older than me. And, you know, he said, you know, when he was growing up that when that video dropped, he knew all kinds of kids in his school who like skipped school just to stay home to watch it. You know, yeah. so that that's, you know, definitely a pretty iconic moment. So before before that happened, you know, one of the things I find most interesting about early MTV is that there wasn't a whole lot of videos. You know, you guys were you're starting with a pretty limited uh, inventory, I guess you would say. And there's a like a lot of uh, a lot of Rod Stewart, a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, promo Anything, clips. There was the a 70s. bunch of shows from England and we had the Midnight Special. 
They were starting oh, okay. to do, it was, we were taking it from the variety shows yeah. in which they started to explore creatively, which instead of just doing a live performance, doing more conceptual stuff. So they would take the artists outside and yeah. they would record it. And that became the music video. So anything that we could clip from those yeah. shows became a large part of our library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's, you know, there's, sort of infamous videos uh from like lesser known artists that really only got on because there was you know limited inventory like i i know you know wall of voodoo and mexican radio was, was an early and that's a great video but like nobody ever heard from them since you know devo's got a big following but you know devo had a lot of iconic early videos but they're sort of an off the wall group i guess my question is you know in the early days before, you know, Michael Jackson and Van Halen and Bruce Springsteen in the very early days, did you ever feel worried that the material you had was not going to be enough to grab the audience's attention? Because you were going for a, a younger demo. And if you're showing videos from guys like Pete Townsend, uh, they might not care. Right. Well, you know what the best and I guess they say ignorance is bliss. Oh, <laughs> the best thing at the, not the one of the, the reason that MTV was able to survive was because we wouldn't had no ratings. There was no oh. Nielsen. <laughs> Nobody knew how many people were watching at all. Clueless. Yeah. There was no barometer for it. So everything was complete. We didn't really. And again, I go, I think that it was not about viewership as much as about establishing credibility with the record companies. That was oh, the primary interesting. thing. Interesting. It wasn't about, oh, we have, it wasn't like, you know, in regular television, you know, every day you'd come in and you check the numbers, you know, with a rating yeah. or the ratings, how are we doing? At MTV, it was like, well, nobody's watching. So <laughs> <laughs> why check the numbers? Nobody, we don't you know, forget it. So that, right. that was really it. So because we didn't have to reach, and, you know, but by the way, the downfall of MTV, not the downfall, but the trend, we had to transition out of music because, when we started to get ratings, we had to find ways to pump up the ratings and you had to start coming up with creative. And that's where all the different shows came up because yep. now, now, we, 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 now there was a, a, a litmus test, a, a, a barometer on, on, on how we were doing as far as the show. That, that changed the channel completely. So in those early days, did it, it, it really felt like it's okay, this is more or less just practice until we hit our stride? No, I think we, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't think anybody was thinking in terms of stride. I think, you know, every, it, there was an overall strategy that was being given to us from the people from the top. So they okay. would say, so the people from the top would say, okay, go ahead and do this. And it wasn't like we were necessarily thinking, I, we would do what they said because we figured that they had this strategy. And we kind okay. of knew the strategy was, again, going back to, we need you to do this because if you do this, it, and you hear it all the time, you know, somebody from this record company needed to see this or needed to see this. and they, So it was really, really about doing a, a dog and pony show mm. all the time for the record companies and the owners. Okay. Yeah, that's, okay. that's what it was. So, you know, after you guys um, really became mainstream, I know... In 1986, MTV, did it merge or did it get bought? That's a good question. So originally, MTV was a uh, 
uh, joint venture of Warner Communications yeah. and American Express. Right. And it was Warner Amex. And so that's what it was. It was just Warner Amex for many years. And then I forget what year it was that uh, uh, Bob Pittman said, uh, you know, we should uh, buy the channel ourselves and just take it over. And so they made it go. He, they brought it and they, we went public. Mm. And there was, it was MTV Enterprises. And uh, some of us got stuck. And uh, but that was short lived because very quickly after that, I think was it Viacom that bought it? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was it. But the thing I want to mention about the reason I go back to the Warner thing because Warner's at the time was run by Steve Ross. Steve Ross was a very, very, very well known person in the history of that, uh, of, of Warner Communications. I, because Steve Ross was kind of the boss of John Lack and Bob Pittman, Steve Ross was, Frank Sinatra was doing a record at A&R, I think it was A&R Records, I forget on whatever it was. Frank Sinatra was doing a record and he wanted somebody from MTV to go down there and supervise the filming of it. And that was me. Whoa, okay. Whoa. I didn't get a picture of <laughs> me and Frank. Frank either. Yeah, I didn't get a picture either. Oh. You know, that was too intimidated. But I got to sit in while Frank Sinatra was recording an album with, you know, Duke Ellington, not Duke Ellington, with, um, uh, um, he produced all of Michael Jackson's uh, music. Oh, uh, Quincy Jones? Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones running the orchestra, Lionel Hampton. All of these guys, he had a whole, there was bleachers of all these women from New Jersey who are old cousins were sitting there. It's a <laughs> remarkable, remarkable day. So that, if you want to go back to one of my great highlights, that was a great highlight of life. Oh, yeah, of life, that's know? a hell of a, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, did he take you aside and tell you who actually killed JFK? My interaction <laughs> with Frank went something like this. I went, hello, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. turned around. And then... Uh, and this is the, 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 my big recollection of that. Evening. Well, there was a bunch of them, but it was a remarkable day. Uh, the way he commanded the room. Oh, sure. First of all, he didn't. He did not like to do retakes, no matter how voices sent. I'm not. Was it, it was it? I, I'm done. I want to go home. Move on. Yeah. But they were doing this documentary, so they were. They had all this lighting all over the place. And. In a soft voice, he was standing by the podium and he goes, and he's looking through the papers. He goes, if somebody doesn't sh turn off that light that's in my face, I'm going to shoot somebody. <laughs> Just like low like that. You've never seen 40 guys <laughs> scramble up ladders to get this light out of Frank's eyes. <laughs> so that was oh. memorable. Oh, that's he did, terrific. It was just a sweet little low voice, and boy, everybody ran. Uh, yeah. That's, a, that's, that's my, uh, that story. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. I think uh, uh, a, a quiet threat is always more scary than someone shouting, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. 
Okay, just a just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. So, like, would would artists who were sort of on their way out as far as pop stardom sort of get pushed over to VH1? Oh well, I don't know if pushed over, but I think there was probably some crossover. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I think there was probably crossover, but yeah. Okay, well, then but I a guess lot of people the- who were our friends at MTV were doing. Uh, dual duty they were working both on mtv and doing vh1 at the same time so it wasn't like separate office unless it was actually kind of i think run out of initially out of our offices they were just you know had different graphics yeah so i i guess there wasn't really anything that that would be considered like like that, that would be considered competition for you guys right except for other stations that were producing different material directed at the same demo you know how MTV started with the Buggles video killed the radio star? Yeah. Well, today you would write down YouTube killed MTV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically it. When you could get it, we didn't have, and this was an interesting thing because there was a point, and I don't know the specifics of it because I wasn't involved in it, but just through hearing about it, there was a question as to whether or not it would have been in our best interest to what to, to start to pay for these clips so we would have exclusivity. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that was a that was a very real discussion. Should yeah. we be the only ones to be able to play these clips? And I don't know what happened, but I don't think we started to get exclusivity. I think once people started to be able to find these music clips elsewhere then everything shifted. Okay, okay. So what ultimately led you to leave MTV? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a personal question, but... Um, oh, okay. So if you don't want to talk about it, we can move on. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, the truth of the matter is it was going through difficult times. Bob Pittman, yeah. who had been my boss and whatever, was leaving. A okay. lot of people were leaving. And I think it really was... But, but for me personally, it was kind of like... Uh, that, that past year, my dad was dying and oh. my wife was having our first child and there was a lot of pressure, a lot of stress and whatever. And it was time for me to move on. And I came and my wife's parents were out in California. And so we sought refuge out here. And there was business opportunities for me in California. Oh, so gotcha. That's, you know, so that's kind of what happened. That makes perfect sense. So it wasn't a case of, you know, you, you felt the, you know, you no bad feelings about MTV for you at all. Right? I, I, there's, I don't think there's anybody that I, from MTV that I, I don't still, I mean, we're all, I, I love, they are my family. Yeah. We, they, we are, there is no question that the people, and now that I've been doing this podcast, which I, I will plug. So anyhow, yeah. me and Gary Kroger, who used to be on Saturday Live. And myself, we're doing a, a podcast called, called The Gary and Kenny Show because we're not creative enough to come up with a really good title. <laughs> Although we actually tried, but every other title was taken. So uh, forget <laughs> about that. Um, but the premise of it really is uh, it's two showbiz veterans who have yeah. stories to tell and people they'd like you to meet. So yeah. we have a lot of people for, that, uh, we, that uh, we know from our uh, – time in the television and uh, business that we bring on. And many of the people that I bring on, or my friend Doug Herzog, who I think also has a podcast now, uh, yep. was on. And many, I bring on many people that Beth McCarthy, who is a big time film and TV director, she worked with me at the MTV. A lot of people who have 
went on to become very successful. We just did one with Lori Zacks, who was another MTV person uh, who now owns her own company and produces, you know, big time TV shows. And uh, so, uh, yeah, no, everybody from MTV right now is phenomenal. But anyhow, uh, hopefully I invite and maybe on this, you'll send a link and people can watch the Gary and Kenny show in which uh, we also um, try to be entertaining as well. Absolutely. And it is an entertaining show. Like I was telling you, like I, I've watched a couple, I love showbiz stories and I love, uh, you know, behind the scenes people. I did watch the interview you did with Doug Herzog. That was great. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, especially now when podcasts are, you know, this is like, um, cultivating history here by having you know people who didn't you know get to be in the limelight back when it was going on they're they're able to tell their stories now so that's why i like your show in particular so yeah let's talk about that show for just a little bit here like i know you and uh, gary are old friends but you know what was it that convinced you to to put that show together and and get it going well i wanted to do it a few years ago before podcasts got only because Gary, who, like I said, was an actor, he start, he, he's very socially conscious. And in all the conversations, oh, okay. he would be very, very talking about all the issues that were going on. Um, and as a matter of fact, so he ran for office in, um, in Iowa. Uh, oh, okay. I think for Congress. Um, and at oh, that wow. time, I think it was not before or after whatever, I was visiting him and we would get into these conversations. And I think it was pretty obvious that it was both he was really informative and smart about the, you know, the political stuff and had very strong opinions. Uh, you know, we're both very on the, you know, socially very liberal side. Um, I'm right there I, with you, man. Okay. So uh, Gary's very good about that. But we also, like, I, we, I recognize that when we got together, we would also have a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. And even his wife at the time said, you guys are really funny together. And I said to Gary, we should do a podcast. And I think Gary, well, for whatever reason we didn't. Uh, and then, the pandemic hit mm. after that. And so for me, what happened was I had been directing shows for uh, Disney Channel and all television shut down. Oh, and, okay, okay. Right. So I wasn't working. Uh, and I had too much time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, well, okay, now with all this time on my hands, what can I do? So, uh, you know, I went back and I guess the timing was right. And Gary said, yeah, let's do it. So we started doing it. And um, I like, again, I, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that I, I have such a rapport and, and relationship with the guy and uh, we continue to be have, have really good fun. So it's a, it's been, it's, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it must be just super rewarding for you to relive sort of these, you know, glory days, you know, with MTV in the same way that it must be for Gary to talk about SNL, you know, with, I know he's had SNL guests on the, on your show uh, with you guys. And yeah, it's, it's nice to, it's nice to hear some of this, this backstage stuff and, and stuff that, you know, isn't necessarily out there already. Cause again, some of the guests you have on aren't um, household names, but I think that's, that's where you get, an opportunity for some of the most honest conversations when there's not the pressure of the spotlight where you have to be like politically correct and you have to dance around, you know, who you might upset that sort of thing. So I, I think that's a really cool show. Um, 
You well, know, I, it, I, it's I, great course... to hear the feedback. We, 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 that's what we really want. So if anybody checks us out, we'd love to get feedback and, uh, on the show. So that'd be very cool. Certainly. I can tell you my favorite episode of yours. What's that? I can tell you my favorite episode of yours, and I have to ask you about it, is uh, uh, James Rolfe, who uh, is a very influential figure in my life. Like, I think ultimately I'm here right now because 15 years ago I saw his YouTube videos. Uh, about uh, 12 years ago, I tried it myself, didn't really work, but I got the you know, the the desire to be creative and produce online content. Turns out he was a really inspiration for a lot of people, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did you how did you find James? Or how did you enjoy I did. talking to him? We uh, as as luck would have it, there is a guy who definitely deserves a mention. His name is Adam Kidd. Wait, I think then Adam yes, Adam Kidd, who lives in Canada, liked Gary and I's show and volunteered his help. Uh, to us. And he has been indispensable. I mean, he's basically a co-producer of the show. And um, he knows about, you know, James and that stuff, because he's a big fan. Um, and I guess he reached out to James. And James, I get, I'm not sure if he liked our show or whatever, but he came on the show. And I thought it was a really funny show. And I thought he was really cool. I thought we had a oh, good yeah. time. Yeah, I got some criticism because, I mean, we got some criticism, you know, because me and Gary didn't really we are the old guys on the show asking very pedestrian <laughs> questions about I don't understand. How does that work? Why do you think, <laughs> you know, so we do sound that. But I get, you know, we're, we're just asking questions that we hope that, that we're interested in and hopefully other people are interested in as well. But it was great. It was fun. I hope he comes back. He was he was really a great guy about it. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. It's good to hear. I I thought it was a cool interview. I you know the problem was is I'm sure you're 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 learning this now, but you know posting stuff online, you just open yourself up for people to work out their own shitty issues in the comments and right. Know. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. What we it, what the I think power it, I think it's the like power that the keyboard has given people is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I just had a a guy on who wrote a book about ACDC. And he told me that the backlash he's received from that fan community about his book has been so severe that he had to get in touch with the FBI about some of it. And, you know, we just had we had a, it's just a, it's just a bummer to see online hate become a thing again and again and again. But, um, you know, I think he. You know, when you court some controversy, sometimes it happens. You know, I don't think you guys are trying to do that on your show, right? <laughs> no, but, you know, as much as you don't want to pay attention to it, you know, we're all human and you oh, read yeah. something. And, you know, I was talking to Gary about this and it was like, you know, Gary, if this is if this is we're going to play in this arena, then we have to, like, take what, you know, these things are going to happen. That's what you get. You put yourself out there. You're going to get this kind of stuff. And it really you have to just dismiss it and just keep going. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, uh, Ken, this has been an absolute joy. I enjoy your show, so it was a treat to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your MTV stories. As like a total 80s nerd, I love it. I must. You broke my cherry. I'm the, this is the first time I've been a guest on a show. <laughs> you broke my cherry Yay. there, Joe. Okay. So right, anyhow, Dad. thanks, buddy. 
And that was my conversation with Ken Seisler, a former director and VP of production at MTV during its golden 80s era, and the current co-host of the Gary and Kenny Show, which is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I need to thank Ken for being such a fantastic guest and for sharing all of those great stories from MTV's classic era. You can find The Gary and Kenny Show on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. As far as the immediate future of this show, we are in the process of scheduling some more interviews, but unfortunately, summer is typically a season where everybody's pretty busy, so most of those will show up um, in fall. Until then, I'll have some solo episodes, and we will also be concluding our Dylan Through the Decades uh, miniseries, and that will be, of course, a look at Bob Dylan in the 2010s. So, stay tuned for that, and thanks for watching. Good night. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the big four things you can do to support this show that don't cost a dime. Number one, listen to the show. If you're hearing this now, that means you did this part already. Thank you. There is an infinite amount of content out there, so you choosing to spend some time listening to this show means a great deal to me. Number two, if you like what we did here, please recommend this show to family, friends, or anyone you know who's looking for a podcast, particularly about music. Share our links in Facebook groups, subreddits, and recommendation threads. Whatever you can do is highly appreciated on my end. Number three, find us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at PlayThatPodcast. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PlayThatPodcast. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash C slash PlayThatRockNRoll. Lots of great material, like photos and vlogs, on all three platforms, as Play That Rock and Roll is very much meant to be a content hub as well as a podcast. And finally, the big ask. Number four, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I know this part is a hassle, but it really does help the show a great deal. Not just because it affects the algorithm, but also because it gives me something I can point to when pitching this show to potential guests. The more social media followers and positive ratings the show has, the better chance I have for booking high-profile guests for interviews. So if you take a moment to give us even just a five-star rating, you are actively giving us a tool to do bigger and better things here. But whatever the case, I appreciate any and all efforts you take to support us here at Play That Rock and Roll. Be sure to join us next time for more great stories and music from the world of classic rock. Too much is never enough.